There is run one reason why we sing. And his name was front and center this morning. His name is Jesus. We don't sing for you. We don't sing for me. We sing because of Jesus. I'm so thankful that we have that honor and that privilege. I want to welcome you and thank you so much for joining us this morning for worship in person and online. So if you're tuning in online, thank you so much for being with us today. As I do each and every week, don't forget to grab a bulletin on your way in or on your way out. And in that bulletin, you'll see needs, upcoming events, and also you'll find our prayer list printed in there. So we'll be praying for those on our prayer list. One addition this morning, and that would be Roy Smith, who has a hernia surgery coming up this Wednesday. So we'll be praying for Roy and for all the others on that list. I also want to take a moment in reflection of what took place yesterday at our ladies' retreat, and just say a big thank you to Jessica Beckles and her team on a wonderful weekend for our ladies. And so if you wouldn't mind, give them a hand this morning and thank them for their efforts. Another Jesus-focused ministry in our church. If you have a Bible, take it and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, this morning we are finishing up our Abiding Through Emotions series. And I hope that this has been an encouraging series for you. I hope you've been challenged to confront some of the issues that may be uh, going on inside of your heart and your mind. Out of all of the series that I've had the privilege and the honor of preaching over the last three and a half years, this series, it has probably, I've received the most feedback. From this series. And so I hope that, uh, I hope that it has been a challenge to you and an encouragement to you and that you've been processing and praying and seeking Jesus through all of these things. We started our, our series with a topic of fear, that fear's presence doesn't have to mean fear's control. And we studied the, the story of Elijah, who was one of God's prophets, and he gave us a wonderful example of someone who allowed fear to get him off track. But as we read in that story, God was faithful as he always is, and he redirects him back to where he belonged with a renewed trust in who God is and what God was doing in his life. In part two, we covered the ever-growing problem of anxiety. That anxiety reveals where your, where our trust remains. That often we simply don't trust that God is, is going to take care of things. And at the end of it all, anxiety can cause us to take our eyes off Jesus and place them on ourselves. And more importantly, it causes us to kind of to focus more on, on our problems and the issues. But we must stop pursuing ourselves and start pursuing what he wants and what he values most. That when we surrender our minds and our, our hearts and our anxious thoughts, it keeps us, it keeps us from, from focusing on the one who has all the power. It's a battle, but one that is so worth fighting. So I encourage everyone to stay in the game and not give up. And then last week we discussed the issue of distrust. That when we fully trust God, we can have a peaceful heart. And when we encounter issues of distrust with God specifically, it, it, it causes us to, to, lack, to lack understanding sometimes. To not believe that God is who God says he is. 
And so we encouraged you to trust the Lord with everything. And so we asked that question, are you trusting him with everything? Every single detail. Most of us would admit that, that we, we, have some, we have some trust issues. That we might not trust him completely with, it, with everything. So let's just be honest about it and keep working on it and keep running to the truth of his word. Today we're going to finish up with this emotion called apathy. Now, it's possible that you may be someone who hasn't yet identified with this series because you just don't battle much with fear or anxiety or distrust. But one thing is certain. There isn't one single person in this room this morning or watching online that hasn't dealt with apathy at some point. Every single one of you have felt apathetic. And if you disagree, you're lying. Send me an email. I'd love to read it. We will discuss it, though, here in just a few more minutes. We'll get a little deeper in this issue of apathy. But first, I want to go to our scriptures, as we read a few minutes ago, and read again about a people who have their own battle with what we would define in our culture as apathy. So if you're there in Revelation 3, look at verse 14. He says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Apathy. Apathy is a lack of feeling or emotion. It's also a lack of interest or concern. It could also be defined as just living with this attitude of being indifferent. How many of you have felt that? And I think we could all raise our hands to that question. You've, you've heard Christian leaders say things like, we should care about reading our Bibles, we should care about our prayer life, we should care about serving and giving and sharing the gospel and other spiritual things, but you honestly just don't care. Your, your head knows it. Like your mind knows it's something you should be focused on, but you just can't muster up the give a darn. You just can't find it. Or you're just really happy living your own life while keeping Jesus in a corner and out of the parts that you want to keep for yourself. If this heart attitude is continual, though, it's a problem for one of two reasons. You might want to write these reasons down. Either you have become lazy and complacent, you're, you're, neither, 
you're hot or you're, you know, you're kind of in between, you're all over the place, or maybe you don't truly know Jesus as your Savior. Both are not good, but the second one is much worse. So what do you feel when you hear pastors challenge you to be faithful to his word and to his principles? Do you get defensive when you're called out for a behavior in your life that needs some work or is just straight up sinful? Do you, do you lack any interest in serving inside and outside of the church? And those are just a few of the thoughts that we could, we could zero in on this morning. And you have to wrestle with your answer to those questions. We all do. Have you ever talked to someone, though, who made it clear that they just didn't care about anything? You've probably got a few names flashing in, in your mind right now. You see, apathy doesn't just apply to spiritual topics. It can be seen in every area of your life. It can be seen in your relationship with friends, with your spouse. It could be how you view your job or even your classes. And I'm pretty sure every teenager in the room would, would say that they've gone through this stage at some point. I know I did. That there were times where I just had a passive perspective on life. Thankfully, it didn't last long, and I snapped out of it. But we can even be selectively apathetic. The things that make us really excited, they, they get all of our passion. Like, we're, we're super excited about our hobbies. We're really excited about our favorite race car driver, our sports teams, our movie stars, and our musicians. Like we light up. When we talk about that new movie or that, that brand new single that just dropped. Or when the team wins the big game or the big race. But other things, sometimes the most important things, eternal things, they take a back seat to the things that provide us with that instant gratification. They, they grab our attention more easily. And one thing is certain. God's word guarantees that apathy towards spiritual things will affect us in a negative way over time. So as we begin our discussion this morning, I want to give a little, a little backstory on this church here in Laodicea. Laodicea was located in, in what we call modern-day Turkey. They, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us who started this church, but many Bible historians believe that Epaphras is the one who started this church. He was one of Paul's disciples, and they believe this based on some ancient writings and the fact that this city was located so closely to Colossae. This city was a very wealthy place. It was a commercial hub. There was a lot of, of, of industry and even medical advancements that were taking place in this city. Laodiceans were not a poor, needy people. People pretty much wanted for nothing. In this city. And the church here reflected this. They were complacent and they lacked passion for Christ. And this was certainly influenced by the affluence and lack of need. But the rampant spread of false teaching in the worship of Zeus affected their apathy as well. So I want you to compare that for just a moment with us. We live in the United States. Of America. And no matter where you land politically this morning, there is a reason why so many people want to live here. We look a lot like Laodicea. Lots of opportunity, lots of money, 
and a whole lot of status. And although we do have poverty, most of us would acknowledge that America as a whole is a wealthy nation and our people are greatly blessed. Yet America is one of the most apathetic, depressed places in our world. Just go to Guatemala and you'll experience that. And I would even go so far as to argue that we are a spoiled people, which then aids this apathy that we have. And as it relates to spiritual things, as a pastor and a fellow believer, I see an apathy to eternal things in so many Christians. And maybe that defines you. And I'm not really throwing any stones this morning because I have felt those things myself. And I battle with this, with this, this trapping of apathy I, I struggled this week with it. I can fall into this trap more easily than I really would like to admit, which I've done already this morning. But the writer here in Revelation says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. This issue of being indifferent, cold and apathetic, it, it can show up in all of us. That even the strongest Christians will deal with this topic and this emotion from time to time. Our, our emotions, they, they can change like the direction of the wind. We used to be excited about something and now we just go through the motions. If we even make it that far of even going through the motions. And sometimes our apathy can even be a result of just plain old discouragement. We've labored so long in the ministry. We've labored so long in serving Jesus inside the church and outside the church. And we just don't see anything awesome happen anymore. It's like all of our labor is in vain. That nothing good seems to happen. So why do anything at all? That we've done the right things. And it seems like you never win. That everyone else is getting blessed and everyone else gets the cushy life. But not you. You're sacrificing for Jesus, and you struggle, and you hurt, and so you stop trying. Being lukewarm is, is not something that we want said about us. Not as individuals, and definitely not as a church. I don't want Revelation 3, 2.0 to be written about West Hill Baptist Church in Worcester, Ohio. You see, something that's lukewarm, it's just not appealing. I mean, think about food for a minute. Unless you're weird, lukewarm food doesn't taste very good. I mean, it's not terrible. It's not poisonous. It's not going to kill you, but it's just not what it's meant to be. You see, there, these believers here in Laodicea, they really didn't have any boundaries set up. They didn't take a stand for anything. They were indifferent. They simply didn't care. So how, how are you doing on the passion versus apathy meter today? Where do you land? When you identify that spiritual indifference is, going, is taking place or going on inside of you, we must answer those two questions that I asked earlier. That are you truly saved? Do you truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you been brought from death into life? And then have you just grown complacent and lazy? Something significant is said about that. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, God says, I will spit you out of my mouth. That makes it pretty apparent that God takes our apathy very seriously. That he's not okay with us camping out on the campground of apathy. That he's not okay with that. And of course, our human emotions are going to struggle at times, but it should be at times. That he is disgusted by our coldness and our apathy. And he's not happy when we just camp out in between being hot and cold. And I don't know about you, but I cringe at the thought of God feeling that way about me. These people in Laodicea are just like us. We think we've got it all figured out. He continues in verse 17, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, you are poor and blind and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. That's us. Like that's us from time to time. By global standards, we are rich and prosperous. And that prosperity is often the greatest obstacle to being hot and not being cold. But there is something else I want to throw into the mix this morning. So if you would, just flip back a page or across the page to chapter 2 of Revelation. Revelation 2, we see another church that had a significant problem. Starting in verse 1, John writes, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars... In his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Verse 2. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I just referenced this a little bit ago to those who are frustrated by this. And and how you, you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. One thing is certain from both of our texts today is that God, that Jesus cares about the church. He cares about our church. The church in Ephesus, they were a strong body of believers. They had some really good things going on, but they did have a mark against them. You see, this church, it was located in in the epicenter of pagan idol worship. The god of Artemis was being widely accepted, and they had rejected this god. The city also struggled with sexual immorality as a result of this idol worship. So there was a lot of sexual sin running rampant in Ephesus. And they did stand against that. And we live in similar times, right? So many people in this culture, including Christians, have a tolerance with sin. It can be intimidating to call sin what it is. I can identify with that. 
We don't want to offend anyone. And we all know being offended happens way too easily right now in this culture. And I definitely think that we should be known for what we're for. There's no reason to spend more time on the negative than the positive. But being against sin, not sinners, is also an essential position for us to take. We can't just say that clear rebellion against God is, according to his word, is just a personal preference or a different lifestyle. It's just not possible if God's word is your authority. And when we deny God's standards and we lower our standards to what the world believes, we compromise the effectiveness of the church. So we have to take a stand. And, and this church was, was, was doing that. This church in Ephesus was clearly making good decisions. So Jesus recognizes that and he encourages them in this. They were calling out false teaching. They were running from sin. They were working hard and persevering and dealing with hardships. And they were not growing weary. And our church should look the same. And we should do these things because we love the Lord and we want to obey Him above all things. John reminded us that we should love one another. And we should, we should love others as we love ourselves. Jesus even said that. But he also made it clear that we should love the Lord even more. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to say because I don't want you to misunderstand this. Sound teaching and pure doctrine is vital. And we are committed to that here at West Hill. But sometimes we career Christians can love those things more than we actually love Jesus. It is possible to love your theology more than you love him. Knowing information, knowing the Apostles' Creed, knowing all the confessions does not equal a deep love for the Savior. We all know people that know just about everything when it comes to doctrine and theology, and yet they look nothing like the Savior. Their marriages look nothing like a, a man who would give his life for the church. Our interaction with lost people, with other church members, looks nothing like what Jesus would encourage us and challenge us to be. And we all know those people. Maybe you are those people. And of course, we should absolutely place theology and doctrine as a high priority. But the point is that it's possible to obey without love for the one we are obeying. And that really does matter. Not just because it's my opinion, because my opinion's irrelevant. That's clearly what we see taught right here in Revelation chapter 2. They worked for the Lord, they were busy, but they didn't do it from a position of love for Jesus. They lost their first love, the love that they once had. They were just going through the motions. And of course we should do what is right. Even when we don't want to. And don't believe the lie that your heart, if it's not in it, then it's pointless. That you should still do the right thing. But if you recognize that your heart isn't in it, you need to get to work on that. Because our heart position is very important. We should always be evaluating our love life. So, do you love God? Make loving Jesus your passion. So what about you? Have you lost your first love? 
How would you answer that question? Have you grown cold? Or maybe you're just, you're just somewhere in the middle. You're not hot, you're not cold, you're right there in the middle. You just don't care about anything. And I think our struggle today is seen right here with these two churches in Revelation. Many have lost their first love and then have grown cold and complacent and apathetic over time. So what do we do? Both of our passages give us the same challenge. How do we deal with apathy? How do we have an abiding relationship with Jesus through this emotion? Well, it gives us the answer in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Chapter 2 says something very similar. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So if you are sitting here today or you're watching online and you are cold and you are apathetic and you find yourself just not caring about the things that God says we should care about, repent. God calls that type of apathy sin. So turn from it. Hebrews 12 says, The Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. God is going to discipline us when we are living an apathetic life. When we find ourselves in between, when we find ourselves not caring about the things that he says we should care about, he will discipline us. But what else can we do? How do we move from passion... Or from apathy to passion. We must remember our first love, Jesus. That he is worthy of his name. That he is worthy of the, of the praises that we sing. And as, we, as that one song said, he has no rival. There are no equals to him. That he is above every other name. And we have to remember what we've experienced. And who we know Jesus to be. We have to remember what happened when he saved us? I mean, if you stop to think about that at any point in your life, I mean, I really want to encourage you. I, I stopped this week in thought for just a minute about my salvation. And the moment that I called on Jesus to save me, I remember where I was at. I remember the moment. I remember my mom, and, and she shared the gospel with me. And I remember calling on the name of Jesus to save me through a prayer. And he saved me, and his spirit moved inside of my heart, and he changed me. And it was different. And when I find myself being apathetic toward the things that God says I should be passionate about, it takes one moment of memory of what Jesus had done for me to snap me out of it. Have you thought about that recently? Have you thought about what it meant the moment that Jesus saved you? And when you think about it through that lens, reading his word and praying and serving and giving, they take on a new attitude for us. We must recommit to what we've experienced. Romans 12, 11 tells us that we should never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So worship, serve, and give with joy. Read, pray, and live through the power of the Holy Spirit that has taken up residence inside of you. 
This word zealous here in the original language, it means to burn with enthusiasm. Could that be said of us? So make loving Jesus your passion. So do you love Jesus above all things? I know what the churchy answer is, but do you really love Jesus above all things? Do you have a passion for him? And what he says is important. Do you care about holiness and righteousness above appealing to your sin nature? Do you long to see people grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ? That is our entire mission here at West Hill Baptist Church. Is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. It's all about Jesus. It's it. So do you have a passion to see your kids know, follow, love, and be committed to the Savior? And are they able to see those things in you? Or are you in the middle? You're not hot, you're not cold, or maybe you're cold, you just don't care. Is that what they see in you? Do you care about your lost family and their friends and your friends and your neighbors and the people in our community? Do you care about them? I'm going to ask a question I actually asked our deacon board this week and I ask our staff periodically. And that's the question of when is the last time that you shared the gospel with anyone? As we reflect back on this first love and on all that Jesus has done for us, The gospel should be something that's on our lips. So when is the last time that you shared the gospel with somebody? We must be gospel-sharing people. There are over 26,000 people in the city limits of Worcester. Plenty of opportunity to share the gospel. There's over 100,000 people in Wayne County alone. We should be gospel proclaiming billboards for the world to see in our community. Many of you have been around here for a long time, and we have something that we call the One Campaign, and and we're getting ready to revive that here pretty soon. Because through the events of this past year and all all of the things that happened, we've become very inclusive and reclusive. We're not really sharing the gospel Some are not leaving their homes. We're scared of people. And eternity is still coming for them. Death is still coming for every single person in this room. We have lost some wonderful people in this church in the last six months. And every funeral that I am a part of, I'm reminded of how important... The gospel is again and again. Because many of those who I've been able to sit in these services for had heard the gospel and responded to the gospel. And so they immediately went into the presence of the Savior when they passed from this life. They didn't, they didn't actually die. They just moved on to a better life. We should have a passion about those things. So this one campaign that we've been doing, it's one person, it's one Savior, one person, one day at a time. It's not real complicated. But if every single person who calls West Hill Baptist Church home, which is, who knows, hundreds of people. If all of us 
had one person that we cared about their eternal destiny and we had a good testimony which gets a bad rap in some theological circles your testimony is important sharing your conversion and how you became a follower of Jesus is actually important it's important for us to be proclaiming the good news of the gospel so in a few weeks we're actually gonna have a refocus message from Psalm chapter 1 and we're going to encourage you to pray for 21 days leading up to Easter. And we're going to encourage you to get back to the business of proclaiming the good news of the gospel to those around you who need it. Because that's also part of our mission as a church. If we want to have an abiding relationship with Jesus, we must love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We must pray and stay on fire for his cause and his work. We must be committed to his word, his commands, and his principles. And when it's all said and done, nothing will matter more than those things. But one thing is certain. We do have an enemy, and he wants nothing more than for us to stay apathetic. Satan loves our apathy. He loves it. So be on guard, be watching for his attempts to keep you from passionately following Jesus with every aspect of your life. And stand firm in the faith and stay committed and always remember what he has done and is doing for you. Make loving Jesus your passion. If you would, bow your head and just close your eyes in a moment of reflection If you're a Christ follower, is Jesus the passion of your heart? Have you made loving Jesus your passion? If you have, keep going. And if you find yourself in the middle, where so many of us are, and you're guaranteed to find yourself there at some point, Will you decide today to repent of that? Will you repent of your apathy? And each and every time it sneaks up in your heart and in your mind, will you turn from that apathy? And will you turn to the Savior? And will you follow him? And will you serve him with your heart abandoned? I want you to really think about that this morning. Are you neither hot nor cold? And have you lost your first love? And what will you do about it? Maybe you need to commit today that you're going to talk to someone about the gospel this week. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Savior. You're lost. You don't know what it means to have this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't know what it means to be born again, to be saved, to, to have new life breathed into your soul. That you didn't, you didn't know before walking into this room that there is this thing called sin and there's a penalty for our sin. And it's death and separation from God forever in a place that was created for Satan and his angels, a place called hell. 
A place of total separation from God and His holiness and His perfection. And you didn't know that you were going there apart from Jesus saving you. You didn't know that Jesus came and he lived a sinless life. And he lived a life that you could never live. And he, and he gave his life on the cross of Calvary. The Roman officials didn't take his life. He gave his life for you and for me. He paid the price for our sin because sin has to be dealt with. Because God is holy. And Jesus came and he paid for that sin. He died on the cross. And he conquered sin, death, and the grave. And he offers you life. And the Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. You can call on his name right now. And he will save you. So why delay? And why wait? If you have questions, we would love to answer those questions. You can email us. You can talk to me after the service. We would love for you to meet the Savior. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. And we are so thankful today for your word. That your people already experienced the things that we experience. Your people have been the same since the beginning. We're people. We struggle. But for those of us who are your children, we have your spirit living inside of us. And we don't have to stay there. We can repent and we can turn from our sin of apathy. We can, re we can repent from our, our attitude of indifference toward the things of God. And we can refocus and recenter our hearts and our minds on the truth of the gospel. And we can follow you. So God, we are so grateful and thankful for your word today. We're thankful for your spirit. We're so thankful for your son, Jesus, who came and lived the life that we could never live to offer us something we don't deserve. And that is life and life eternal. So God, go with us this week. Convict us this week. Encourage us this week through your word. And help us to strive and pursue you with all that we have. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.